here is the thing. Half of the world's population is living in urban settings and, you know, new strategies need to be employed to create sustainable, resilient and vibrant communities. And that, my friend, is what CUSP is all about. Now, this is the Cork Urban Soil Project. And if I could describe it as best I could, I would say it's a test site. It's like a living laboratory for a really strong, environmentally driven community who are made up of friends, creatives, workers and supporters and their small aerobic biodigester. Food waste shouldn't be waste. It's actually the way we see it is that it's a resource. It's full of nutrients and it should be kept here for us to make it into something usable. Yeah. So for today's chat, Jolene took a trip over to Virginia O'Gara, who along with her husband Donal are my goodness, the much-loved raw vegan food company based in Cork City, whose business are founders and partners of this project. And what the team are hoping to do here is completely close the loop by composting all of their waste, turning it into healthy, nutritious soil and build a small urban micro farm right between their own My Goodness HQ and the Marina Market, which for anyone who is familiar with this site might think it's impossible. It's located in a dark, very steep slope in the Marina Commercial Park, which is the grounds of the old Dunlop factory. Sure, that will absolutely never work. Never work. Sure, you couldn't do that now, sure, no. No, no, no. But I think it will, because this is a story of hope. It's a story of community. It's a story of the challenge this group of ecologically driven people are taking up. A group who genuinely believe that it's always the right thing to challenge the status quo, to rethink the faith of waste, and prove to us all that there's a healthier, ethical, and more sustainable way to live. So I went up to visit Virginia and my goodness goodness at the CUSP office and we sat down and we had a chat in Rebel Reads, which is just next door. And do you know what, Jack? This was another little gem, coincidental gem in the story. In here? Rebel Reads is a member-owned community bookstore. <clears throat> so okay. what's really great about this space is that we want to make a space where people can come in and feel comfortable not having to spend any money just to be able to feel free to be who they are in a space and so, just come and hang out and read books exactly so all the books that you see here are available by donation um there are about a hundred members that are members of rebel reads and we all give a fiver every month oh, that's how we this. afford to keep the space open brilliant they say <laughs> books not bosses and do you know what I found out? It was a great little place to record a podcast. I'll fix this table so we don't die. The other side of the table. Yeah. Got it. Now, you know so, Virginia. And she is definitely like one of these incredibly interesting people. And Jack, I'm sure you're going to agree with me because time in her company just flies by so quickly. She's got so many interesting stories to tell you. And you, you don't want to stop her because they're just so good. Did you think we were just playing? Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were playing. <laughs> and yeah, I did. I wanted to talk to her about CUSP, but there were like five million other things that we needed to get off the ground first. So, Jack, I'm inviting you here now to sit back, warm your ears, get yourself a cup of tea. Okay, I am going to get something to drink from me. Because Virginia is about to tell us all about her rebel upbringing in Texas, her time in the Americas, her pilgrimage to permaculture, that hilarious suspiciousness that people give when they start talking about veganism and her motivations for a plant-based diet. But ultimately, 
what we're talking about here is that great big circle which brings us right back to the importance of soil health and the motivation behind the Cork Urban Soil Project. So I never wanted to start a food company. Okay. Ever. Um, Surprising. Back in the day, back in Texas, I started working with a group called Food Not Bombs. And okay. Food Not Bombs is an organization that uses would-be waste, right. would-be food waste, to prepare food for people who need it most. Yeah. Um, uh, especially back in the 90s, um, the agricultural system was just going crazy. Um, like, you know, neoliberal design was going crazy with global agriculture. And there were certain types of food that were totally edible and totally salable, but because they didn't look the right part or were different yeah. measurements, were thrown away. So okay. meanwhile, people are starving yeah. on the road. So Food Not Bombs was started long before I was a part of it. It's okay. about, I think it's about 45, 50 years old now. Um, and it started off in San Francisco, and it was a group of people who got together to use food waste to feed the most needy and to mm -hmm. draw attention to the fact that we need to take care of our people instead of uh, spending all sorts of money and intelligence on war. Yeah. So Food Not Bombs was a really easy name. Um, so um, once a week, myself and a few other like you know punk rock anarchists, we get together and we would get food from Whole Foods, which started right. out there, and local co-ops or food that would otherwise be thrown away, and we'd prepare it and we'd feed it to ourselves and to other friends that would come okay. along at the Dallas yeah. Public Library. So that was what made me interested in food. So we were all vegan. Yeah. Um, it's a vegan organization, okay. and it was nice to be able to work within these parameters of creating food for hundreds of people out of like random ingredients. You yeah. never knew what you were going to get that week. So you could like, have a whole box of aubergines and cantaloupes, and okay. what the hell are you going to make with that? I don't know. <laughs> so it was really fun to learn how yeah. to make all sorts of new things yeah. using, uh, yeah, a, a creative and limited cool. ability. So that's how we started, and in 1995, was 17 and I went right. out to California because people were being arrested for right. serving food to people. Right. So for me... Why were they being arrested? This is... Um, it goes I, back I, I, to, kind of, I feel like we're going down a rabbit hole, but it's a really it interesting all, one, it all though, kind it? of Yeah, it all kind of makes sense. A lot yeah. of this has to do with um, yeah, creating community through um, finding use from waste sure. and nurturing your yeah. community. Yeah. So in 1995, it was the 50th anniversary of the... Um, uh, United Nations and in San Francisco in the UN Plaza is where Food Not Bomb San Francisco would feed the most needy okay. of San Francisco yeah. twice a day. Wow. Hundreds yeah. of people twice a day yeah. for no money. It was all charitable. Yeah. Um, they had been doing this for years without any permit. Mm -hmm. um, when the international media were turning up in San Francisco ironically on UN Plaza to talk about how great it is that okay. we are taking care of, we as the UN are taking care of all of our, our people. Um, the mayor of San Francisco, Mayor Not Frank Jordan, realizing that it was a whole bunch of volunteers and people who were just doing it. Out of they just didn't list. want to see the homeless people around. It was yeah. a bad look for okay. San Francisco. Well, how can America, land of the free, home of the brave, people, you know, world police, yeah. telling everyone how to conduct yeah. their own business in their own country? How could it be that there were so many homeless people walking around? So Food Not Bombs were catering to them without judging. Yeah. Uh, mayor Frank Jordan decided he was going to. Uh, make Food Not Bombs apply for a permit, which they did, and they were denied this permit to feed these people. Not only that, but they also put in other laws to make okay. it vagrancy more difficult. Um, so in order to combat that, uh, Food Not Bombs asked all the chapters from around America to come out and to help protest and help make food and help draw attention to the fact that we are more interested in, um, in war than supporting our 
our, our most needy population. Yeah. So we did. That's where I racked up my first two felonies as a 17-year-old and made a lot of friends. And there are so many incredible activists and incredible chefs involved yeah. who taught us a lot of great techniques. Um, and that's, yeah, that was uh, that was my first kind of awakening what into an the potential kind of, of food, you yeah, know? Yeah, an awakening, like a foundation and all, the ways you could do it. And all this mm -hmm. kind of movement. Like, yeah. And was there, resistance from, was there resistance from the community towards Food Not Bombs? Oh, the community came together to support it completely. Okay. I mean, even the police, the riot police who were out to stop the food from being served to people right. were in tears. They knew that that wasn't the reason why they wow. decided to, you know, defend the public. It wasn't to That's throw amazing. food away in front of yeah. hungry homeless people. Brilliant. Yeah, it was eye-opening. My father, I come from a background of law enforcement, too. My dad is in the FBI. Oh, and he, he was like, you know, Virginia, you know, permits exist for a reason, and they're there to help keep people safe. And I was like, God damn it, Dad. <laughs> that's not what's going on right now. You have to understand that. And because he is an intelligent person, he, he knew that's not really what was going on. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He said, just be safe. Oh, amazing. amazing. Yeah. The rebel in you was there for a long time. <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a vibrant, that rebellious community is always more vibrant and more passionate and yeah. more real. Yeah. And that's what I always want to be a part of. Cool. Um, yeah, so it was a really nice place to be in my teens. Yeah. San Francisco how was, how and did Oakland. you find your way here then? Well, um, after that, I guess the Zapatista Revolution started after that, mm -hmm. and that was uh, where, that's how I wound up down south. I was following um, the resistance of uh, Native people in southern Mexico to their land being taken over and uh, they were uniting in resistance to create sustainable communities okay. uh, and I thought yeah I want some of that too in my life and so I went down there and um, then I wound up getting this position in Guatemala okay. to work um, in a garbage dump right. in a recycling and okay. composting facility that was being set up okay. at the end of their 35 years of civil war and in connection to that, there was also a permaculture farm. Proyecto Ijats was around. Ijats is the Cacachicel Mayan word for seed. Okay. So the Mayans were aware that there were a lot of companies, such as Monsanto, that was using new technology to create terminator seeds, or seeds that they could patent okay. and own. Um, Ronilek and other Mayans were aware of the fact that their seeds were their life and their history mm -hmm. and they created a seed bank from nothing um, to preserve native Mayan corn amongst other vegetables. Um, on the, in, the seed bank was located on a permaculture farm that Ronilek set up. Um, the permaculture farm that he set up was located at the very bottom of the village where tanks used to be parked and it was compacted land and it was compacted land at the lowest part of the village where the rain used to rush down and okay. You couldn't really do yeah. anything with it and yeah. it would rain six months out of the year well so he using the permaculture principles to work with nature rather than against it knowing yeah. that the problem is the solution he turned that that water into a resource okay he wound up digging out um ravines so the water could yeah. be stored and work through his permaculture sustainable system amazing and simple like and simple simple idea like yeah, makes exactly. Sense. When you when you look at nature, this is how like the concept of permaculture mm. started off in Tasmania. You look at nature, and you realize there is no waste in nature, mm -hmm. and in nature there is no work. Yeah. So you have systems uh, co-evolving. Yeah. Um, and there is an interdependency, and there's a magic in that interdependency that you try to emulate, mm -hmm. so that you know you never really see anything linearly. You never really see anything as an individual yeah. in a design. Everything yeah. has to relate to. Sure the other parts around it. Yeah, so it's this whole circular economy that we keep hearing it's about. It's the whole it? circular economy thing. Yeah. So it's it's this 
pattern that we see a lot in life. When you look at the globe, when you look at what we have, what, you know, this, this earth that we're living on, it mm. is, you know, a, a, a functioning system. Yeah. Um, you know, when humans step in, we create imperfect systems that are more linear and um, imperfect. So it's nice to look at those and see how they don't work and yeah. try to turn that linear system more into a circular system, which is circular yeah. economy or, yeah. yeah, closed loop systems. What's your personal motivation for being so passionate about this? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it probably isn't personal. It's probably more community-based. Okay. Um, it's the only thing that really makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you see, um, when you spend a little bit of time in the forest, mm. you realize that it is a perfect system, that there are so many things happening around us that are perfect, and it just feels good. And uh, trying to replicate that, even just a small bit in any way that we can in the city, yeah. or with our business, or with our life, our friendships, our homes, that's, I guess that's the motivation is just... Yeah. And I suppose if everybody can do their own little part, small little things make a big collective difference, doesn't it? That's exactly yeah. it. That's yeah. exactly it. And that's all we can do. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't necessarily think it does um, our society a great service to try to take on all of these, you know, powers that be mm. um, that are beyond our reach. You know, there's so many things that we can do within our community mm. to make our lives better, you know, by mm. ending direct provision or, mm. you know, yeah. fighting for um, the right to be able to have affordable housing and health care and food. These are things that are very attainable. Yeah. Like we, we, we can do that here. And that's why I like Ireland so much. You know, sometimes uh, it was a bit overwhelming in America to see how vast... You know, the, yeah, the imperfect structures yeah. were there. So but are things maybe a little bit more achievable over here? Do you think? Absolutely. I think. Okay, this is the funny thing. Tell about me Cork. why. This is why? the funny thing about Cork. When you, what I like about Cork, uh, and what I had to learn to like about yeah. Cork, is that people here are love saying no to things. Oh, like, do they? <laughs> they say, no, sure, you couldn't do that. No, sure, no, no, oh. no, no. You know, and it was like, but sure, you can. But really, I learned from the get-go. That just means like, prove it. Like when we, for instance, when we moved into this kitchen next door, um, I was just harassing the manager for the Marina Commercial Park for weeks, yeah. telling him, like, we are going to move in there. No, we sure you couldn't do that now. We couldn't have a food business in there now. And I was like, no, you actually can. And we're going to do it. So <laughs> and it was like, just we were basically watch me. I moving love in. a challenge. And he's like, this is great. Sure, this is great. Um, and when you start talking about, you know, running a vegan food business in Cork, like, yeah. I was like, no, sure. Nah, there should be no, there be no <laughs> interest in that. There'd be no interest in that. Like, well, nah. yeah, we're going to make, you know, fermented rainwater drinks. Nah. Nah, sure you wouldn't nah. want that. That's a ridiculous <laughs> idea. And they're right. But it's, it's, but I like do you think it's like the craziest and more random, the idea, the better the challenge, the more interest that people have in it. I think you got it. Yeah. I think that's it. And I think that. That's also why I like court because people love a good story about ridiculous things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you tell someone, you know, I'm running this vegan food business that like ferments rainwater and then sells it to people, <laughs> like it's, it's a ridiculous they're like, concept. They're, they're making like, money out of rain. <laughs> my goodness, crowd. Selling rainwater to the Irish. I know it seems wrong, but it's so right. Or like, and you that's know, what we're drinking. Here. What is this keeper that we're drinking? Oh. This one that we have now is a hibiscus and raspberry leaf keeper. So, yeah. Uh, when we first started My Goodness, I realized, or even before starting My Goodness, I've always been interested in food. Mm. And a lot of folks in Ireland have issues digesting gluten. Okay. And have um, digestive issues. Mm. And 
I mean, in this land of rain and you know root vegetables, why weren't we fermenting? So yeah. I was doing permaculture. This was back in 2006 when I yeah. started permaculture school. And you realize like there are a lot of things here. Having fresh water as a resource is one of the luckiest things that we have mm. here in Ireland. It's, yeah. it's probably one of the most worthwhile rain, uh, resources that we can have. Mm. So, you know, in permaculture, you understand that mantra again, that the problem is the solution. So, you know, harvesting rainwater was always, as a Texan, something that was really important to me mm. because we weren't, we don't have a lot of water in mm. Texas. Um, and then understanding just basic fermentation skills and ba basic microbiology, you understand mm. that uh, probiotics help with digestion. So we started growing cabbages in the permaculture school and making sauerkraut and just showing this very basic ancient technique on how to preserve food sustainably. And it's delicious. So when you take a cabbage, most people in Ireland that I had met before and hated it because you just like because boil, it. boil it, to boil it to crap. Boil it and it nearly disintegrates. I know, right? <laughs> I, I can understand that smells like a fart, tastes terrible, but if you take that same vegetable, chop it up finely, mix it with some salt and let yeah. it just sit in its own brine, for a couple of weeks, then not only do you have uh, an amazingly sustainable product that's crunchy and delicious and vibrant, but also it's full of vitamin C mm -hmm. and calcium yeah. that you lose whenever you boil it. So I loved doing that and I'd make it for classmates and people would enjoy mm -hmm. it. And um, yeah, then, you know, we went on to do other things. I was teaching permaculture for a while, building community gardens. And it wasn't until, um, what was it, 2014, that people were like, well, why don't we start a vegan cafe? What do you think about this? And, you know, I know... I'm sure that will never work. I'm sure that will never work <laughs> is the thing because I believe that good food should be a right and not a privilege. And I believe that food is a wonderful tool for social justice reasons. You know, mm -hmm. I like Food Not Bombs yeah. because um, we were using food as a way to communicate need mm -hmm. and a way to build community. Sure. So... The thought of having to base my life around earning enough money to, you know, create food that supports local farmers. Mm. First of all, like our ethics are at the base of our business. How are we going to support local farmers, pay ourselves a living wage, and charge the community of Cork a price that they could afford? And it's really hard to make that equation balance. And I suppose open them up to these new ways of doing things. I mean, from totally. cabbage. Come on. I know, like... Oh, no, or tea. Can you imagine this? Telling, telling these grannies that are coming around to us at the Cole K, like, oh, yeah, well, this is tea. It's black tea. But you it have it cold and fizzy. Like and you don't put any milk in it. <laughs> it's like, it's no. I mean, like... It's a rocks in your head. <laughs> I've seen people go to blows in Cork about, like, when you pour your milk in. Like, imagine having it totally different than that. Like, yeah. no milk at all. It adds fizzy and fermented. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like, I remember, jeez, oh, I guess when we were first in the English market, what was that? It was like we were at the startup stall and um, it was around Christmas time and no one had any clue. Like, what's a vague? And, you know, what's, yeah. what is this? They, everyone was very curious about this new stall mm -hmm. that was there. Um, uh, but no one really knew what it was. Mm -hmm. But that was the first year, I think, that people were bringing home like vegans to Christmas mm. and the mammies were freaking out. Yeah. Like they yeah. did not know what to do. Yeah. They did not know what to do. So we made a vegan survival kit for Christmas yeah. Yeah. just to like help I them like out that. with everything yeah. they need with like a mane and a whatever. 
Yeah, and it worked out pretty nicely. We still do that to this day, but now, um, yeah, everyone and their grandma but there's so many are trying veganism. Yeah, there's so many motivations for, for veganism. Like, I mean, it's the environmental thing is huge. Absolutely. As well, isn't it? But I think that's a main driver for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah, the ethical, the environmental, and the health reasons mm. are the three main drivers, I think, for veganism. Yeah. And for me, it was a bit of all of them. I went vegan when I was 16. I was just about to ask. Yeah. I went vegan when I was 16 for ethical reasons. Okay. Because I had been a vegetarian that. for a long, long time. I grew up in Texas, which is basically the cork of America. Okay. Everything is all about the cows. Everything is all about the meat. You know, it was, you know, people there are pretty hard and yeah. loads of cowboys. They all talk yeah. funny. It, yeah. it is. Texas is basically yeah. cork. Yeah, so I went vegan there, which was like worse when I was 16, and that's like worse than being a communist. Like, you're not going to eat meat. That's very extreme. <laughs> that's very extreme. <laughs> but for me, there was no other, there was no other way. No other um, yeah. yeah, I saw uh, how animal agriculture, how cruel it was, and how, um, first of all, to the animal, and then to the world around it. Mm. And I couldn't be a part of it. For me, yeah. it was a lot easier just to not eat meat than to eat meat yeah. at that point. And I went vegan at a time where there wasn't a lot of meat products, so I had to learn to cook. Mm. So it was it was fortuitous, and I'm I'm delighted that you know I don't feel like I miss out on anything. Um, also, because I grew up in Texas, there were loads of other cultures around me yeah. that didn't have the privilege of eating meat all the time. So I was exposed to Vietnamese food, Korean food, yeah. Ethiopian food, Thai food, um, and flavors and textures from all different cultures that weren't, you know, just like Texas barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was, for me, it was exciting. It was yeah. an exciting endeavor to go vegan. And that passion for food has definitely served you to this day. Oh man, yeah, yeah. And, and the challenge of showing people that vegan food can be good because when we started making food for vegans in Ireland, it was very fashionable for chefs to hate vegans. You know, and yeah. for me, it was quite easy to see that it was an insecurity because perhaps they weren't necessarily trained and how to prepare vegetables in a lot of ways. I yes. mean, of course, there were lots of exceptions. But when you would go to a place and say, I'm vegan, mostly people would roll their eyes. Yeah. Um, but now things are so different, yeah. you know? Be able to add that to the Cork Urban Soil Project's closed-loop system. Okay. So as a vegan, like, yeah, we're a company that is vegan because we don't mm. want to harm animals. Mm. But also we believe in um, finding, you know, eating in a, in a, a way that, supports the community of food growers around us. Mm. So we have a shop in the English market in which we only sell food from Cork. I think we're the only people in Ireland that do that, that just have a very county-specific okay. vegetable trade, Yeah. Um, which is a nice way to learn about the seasons and mm. to help celebrate seasonality mm. and understand all of the various ways you can prepare cauliflower. Mm. And to, very importantly, to support your, your local, local farmers. Local during lockdown uh, two years ago, when all of the restaurants had to close down, a lot of our friends who are farmers, um, their main trade was through restaurants, mm -hmm. and they had nowhere to sell their vegetables that they had been working on for years to establish, such as you know mm -hmm. the Gorton on asparagus. Mm -hmm. So we took over a second shop in the English market to start selling local vegetables only, and we've stuck to it. And people love it. And people love it. Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to... Who doesn't we don't, love sure. a vegetable from down the road? Like, the lovely, exactly. like, the freshness of it is incredible. Like, the, the seasonality. Yeah. The seasonality, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the, dense, the density of the nutrition, nutrition within yeah. it. And yeah. um, sure, this is one another thing I like about Cork is that we love supporting people from Cork. So That's if you're saying... Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, I, would you know, I would never argue that. I would never argue that. 
So like, you know, it's, it's, it's a really nice place. Yeah. So often we don't have the variety of all of the other vegetable shops. Mm. But whatever vegetables we do have there, you can guarantee are the freshest and yeah. most nutritionally dense of anything yeah. in the market. Yeah. So that was good. And now we're like, how do we expand on that? We started mm -hmm. growing, that year we started growing more vegetables for people who live in urban settings so people could start to have that connection so to the food they're growing. So you're now growing, well, you're starting your mushrooms, mm -hmm. you're going to do your microgreens, mm -hmm. and you've got this lawn area outside. Yeah. What's going yeah. on up there? So last year we started growing all of these small little vegetables for people who don't have land to be able to have a connection to their food and grow varieties of vegetables and spices and herbs on their windowsill um, because you can grow some, anything almost anywhere. Yeah. So we found uh, varieties of, for people who are city dwellers to become more self-sufficient mm -hmm. with our food growing. Yeah. It was a really nice practice for lockdown mm -hmm. and we got great feedback from lots of like brand new farmers and people who'd been doing it for a long time okay. who said they loved it. Now, um, drawing on that, the um, Cork Urban Soil Project started, I guess three years ago, the concept started because not only do we want to have like a vegan business, but our company and support local farmers, but also we don't want to produce, we want to produce as little waste as possible sure. within yeah. our company. So all of our containers are, uh, you are either glass or compostable. Mm -hmm. All of the glass is reusable. Um, we only deal with shops that will take a deposit on our, our bottles. Yeah. And that's really nice to be able to work with small independent shops who support small independent businesses like us. It's yeah. creating quite a web and quite a community throughout Ireland. So. How do you take that a step further? Still, you know, inevitably you're going to have food waste. We're going to find as many ways to cycle food through our system mm. as possible by taking a product that, for instance, to ferment this kefir, we have to get hibiscus flowers in from Kenya. Okay. That doesn't seem so sustainable, yeah. right? And I mean, to value and honor and respect that plant that grew all of its life in Kenya and then was dried out and mm. shipped over here, mm. we don't want to just use it once and throw it away. So then we take those fermented hibiscus flowers mm -hmm. and we turn it into a new dish. We wound up <laughs> salting, drying them, and smoking them and creating a thing called a brisket. Ooh, nice. Because, yeah, because brisket is nice and smoky and has this kind of like that texture. Okay. So that's something familiar. So yeah. it doesn't taste like brisket. It's not made from a fucking cow. Yeah, yeah. But it's just it's, the wordplay. It's just <laughs> the wordplay. It was a good name. You could not say that. <laughs> so we make, you know, uh, deep fried hand pressed tacos out of her brisket and Gorgeous. so that's our first way to eliminate food waste inevitably you're gonna have some mm. and that's why we knew we were going to have to do something with that yeah food waste shouldn't be waste it's actually the way we see it is that it's a resource it's full of nutrients and it should be kept here for mm. us to make it into something usable yeah so Right now, the, the way it was before cusp began is that we were just sending all of our compost away to be used in some other place around Ireland. I think okay. like, you know, Tullamore. That's where it's gone, yeah. I think it was going to Tullamore. I thought that was, yeah, that wasn't the way so we wanted to put, do it. So you'd put your food waste into a, into a food waste uh, Yeah, like a 170 liter compost This big lorry would come along once a week, pick up all your rubbish, pick up the food waste, and then off it goes to some Yeah, to Tullamore. Place. And they get to reap all the benefits of all of these nutrients, right? Well, we wanted to keep this, that when you're in Cork. Cork. <laughs> we want to keep these nutrients for Cork. We want these here. So that's the thing, right? Yeah. So um, I was drawing on some of my experience working in Guatemala mm. in that composting and recycling place. And uh, I thought, sure, why can't we just do that here? 
It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Um, originally, the first time we got to witness a biodigester in Ireland is way back when Jack Crotty and Wayne Dunley. The, the co-host of this podcast. The co-host Mr. of this Mr. Jack Crotty himself. We miss him. <laughs> He's the very one. He, we have him to thank for most of this, I'd say. He was... Uh, Did you hear that, Jack? There you are, Jack. <laughs> Shout out to Jack Crotty. So I'd say that's a bit of a thank or blame type situation when the workload gets massive. But I'm um, very honored to be getting a, a thank you from this gang. Go so on, sorry. He um, was... we, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were lucky enough to be a part of a body and soul group called Food on Board. Mm. And that's where Donal O'Gara and Daniel Krakauer and Wayne Dunley and a few others, um, Doxy, got together and they organized various elements of this really nice space. Mm. Um, Jack got lots of speakers who were interested in various food politics mm. and issues to come together and some great bands to play in an area. What we were trying to achieve with this area called Food on Board is to draw attention to food waste. Yeah. Um, at festivals, you notice like on day two, day three, there's just crap just everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. everywhere. It's not just tents that are left behind, but rubbish. It's rubbish everywhere. And, and who wants to be a part of that? It's so yeah. disheartening. Yeah. And you work so hard, you know, mm -hmm. to get there to the festival, to be able to provide yeah. a service for people, to yeah. give them a good experience, and then that's what you see. So why not create a space where there's an alternative to that? So that's the concept of food on board. So mm -hmm. Donal and Dan Krakauer made about 800 boards um, for people to use as plates. Yeah. Each of Jack and a couple of others picked a few different food companies to come around and be a part of this. Um, it was ourselves, it was Market Kitchen, mm -hmm. and other folks who really care about I think uh, White Masu was there mm -hmm. doing ramen. Yeah, Katie. Yeah, yeah Katie. Yeah. And so basically, the punters would come in, they decide what food they wanted to get. The food stalls would be there with the boards, the food would be served on the board. People would eat, they would listen to some music, they would you know, go to a workshop. And at the end of the day, they had to be responsible for the amount of food that they did not eat and compost it themselves and then wash their Fantastic. board and hang it up. It's a really simple concept. Yeah. There, we also had a biodigester. Mm -hmm. And so we were showing that it, this food waste could be turned into another product mm -hmm. quite quickly. So yeah, great concept. And, and I figured, sure, if we could do it there, you like in the middle anywhere. of a field, you know, with a couple thousand people yeah. once a year, why not just yeah. make it an everyday thing? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that's we started why the Cork Urban Soil fun. Project. Nice. Yeah. We want, my goodness, to continuously work to be better. Mm. We wanted to create a closed loop system where would-be waste, mm. the byproduct of the food that we make, yeah. gets cycled back into our system to become an input for our system. So instead of making our food, you know, cycling it through our system as many yeah. times as possible, and then eventually composting it and sending it to Telemore to use it. Yeah, to use it or to have it be a part of a linear system or yeah. you know, to leak too much nitrogen, who knows what. Sense. Yeah, let's use it. So this, we wound up talking to CIT. Okay. Our friend Patricia had a, an aerobic biodigester that she wasn't using anymore. Aerobic biodigester. Aerobic, so it's, it uses air. It sounds like something you'd see in the gym. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Richard Simmons presents the, his aerobic biodigestion. Digester that's possibly connected to like an exercise bike, and then if you were spinning the wheels, that it would spin the composter, and then mm -hmm. like I mean, this would just be perfect, wouldn't it? I think yeah, you're hired. <laughs> that's wow. a really good idea. 
It's patent bad, trademark. Definitely we could use the electricity from yes, other, other areas to do this. Yes, we could. Anyway, go on. But, but, so, back, <laughs> back to the task at hand. So Patricia's on board. And she's like, look, we're not using this biodigester. Um, we've tried, but it doesn't work for us. Uh, so she was in charge of all of the food science department of CIT. Okay. Um, and it was becoming more of a burden to them than mm. anything else. So what we realized is it just needed a bit more management. Mm. So uh, with my experience in composting in Guatemala, you learn about combining carbon and nitrogen to make the perfect pH sure. balance in your soil. Yeah. And you have these um, thermophilic and mesophilic bacteria that all start working with it. It's basically like making uh, sauerkraut, but yeah. in soil form, right? Okay. So you just start to understand the interconnectivity of yeah. all of these various communities of microbes. And that's what's going on there. The reason that we're very lucky we got this aerobic biodigester donated to us is that it's this enclosed, encapsulated mm. kind of stainless steel machine okay. where we're able to put in um, 500 liters of food waste a week. Wow. Yeah, along with here in Rebel Reads, they tear up cardboard from all the book donations yeah. they have. Yeah. Um, and that all goes in there and it stays in one chamber for mm. two weeks. Mm. And then it shoots it over to the other chamber where it cures for another two weeks and mm. there's just an auger moving around. It's really mm. simple technology. Mm. And at the end of a month, you have 500 liters of compost. And um, where does this compost go? Well, it's going to be going right across from here, right across from the cusp office and the My Goodness Kitchen and Rebel Reads. And we're building a micro farm in the marina market. Brilliant. So we're going to have 12 raised beds okay. um, where we're going to be testing out this compost. Mm. So, yeah, there we will be growing. We haven't set up the experiment exactly yet. It would be nice to grow food that we use regularly. We yeah. use a lot of kale. We use a lot of parsley. We okay. like nutrient-dense greens. Yeah. Um, sure, everyone loves potatoes. All of our vegan cheese is made out of cork-grown potatoes. Yeah. So we're dealing with um, a piece of land that is on a really steep slope. Mm. And we don't get too much light. Mm. And we don't own it. And it's on this industrial wasteland. We don't know what's underneath <laughs> that can never it. Work. Exactly. So if we can do this here, if we're going to make this work, then I, and we're not experts, then I believe anyone could do it anywhere. Yeah. So that's why I'm happy to have such a challenge at hand because yeah. if like dopes like us can get on with a project like this anyone successfully, can anyone can do it. Why is soil health so important? Well, it's the foundation of everything, I'd say. Mm. Um, we're losing a lot of soil around uh, in the planet right now because of over-farming and mostly because of animal agriculture mm. um, and deforestation for animal agriculture. Mm. And our food is, is nothing without healthy soil. So because of companies that I mentioned before, Monsanto, we have denatured a lot of our soil mm. by using chemical fertilizers. Mm. So we need to be recreating good soil. We need to be putting the microbes back into the soil for the food we're growing because mm. if you're, you can't grow a healthy plant on dead land, no. yeah, you are what you eat. I mean, that old adage is true. Like yeah. you, gotta, you gotta have healthy soil to grow a healthy plant and yeah. to be a healthy person. Can we That's take a look at the biodigest? Let's do it. Let's go. I'm gonna put on a coat too. I'm gonna to take off put this. Put on your jacket. I'm going to. Let's see. <sighs> this is pretty big. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> it's a pretty There's, easy system. I love this big red button. Emergency, Emergency! stop. <laughs> yeah. 
CIT students were in charge of this oh, with yeah, us. Yeah. I think things okay. like that were important. Right. So there you go. Like you can see, okay. this is just a, a really simple design. That's a, a cutter. And then in here is an auger. So this is like, um, it's, it's like a giant blade that you'd see in a food processor, but it's like an it's industrial exactly scale, isn't like it? It's like that, or like a, a lawnmower. A lawnmower? Yeah, something like that. You wouldn't want to put your hand in there, no? No, I would say emergency stop after that. <laughs> so I'm going to close this. Okay. I'm going to get another key to open at this so you can see the auger in, in motion. Okay. Are you having fun? <laughs> Are you having fun? I'm having a great time. I love messing around with food waste. Oh, you oh see? look at this. It's incredible, oh, it's eh? it's spinning around. It actually doesn't smell that bad. It doesn't smell that bad. Later. Oh, well, here, let's watch it go in. Oh, let's yeah. open that up. So, let me put this here. So what are we putting in here now? We're putting in some compost. Um, as you can see, looks like coffee and onion and things like this. That's oh, a daikon radish. Some blue roll. We got it all. And then you just close this, and you wait a second, and then it shoots it all through there. That is magic. Isn't it great? That is incredible. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So we'll leave this now. And so, okay, so that's there for two weeks. Then it pushes it over. There's an auger that pushes it over to that container. And it comes out over here from this thing and we just like harvest it. It's just like a continual feed. We just have like buckets that we take and then we move it over to here. Do you want to see what the final product is? Yes. This is our compost. Very nice. Isn't it nice? That's just from food waste. And this is about what, wow. three months old? That is it's incredible. incredible. Yeah. What That's a concept, amazing, right? Like, I know. Like, but it's just brilliant to see. Yeah. Actually like your, Setup. your waste there. Mm. And then a month later to have this beautiful it's incredible rich isn't it? and then this dark, soft is soil, too rich it? it's too rich it's too so rich. what we're going to have to do is combine this with some kind of other i don't know substrate okay so yeah, oh, yeah. so we're probably gonna have like coconut hull which is a byproduct okay. so we're like continuing with the circular economy so our friend okay. ellie who has been a she's a gardener at Good Day Deli. She does like all the nano nagel area. Yep. She's one of our advisors. Okay. And she used to do microgreen. She's giving okay. us a lot of our LED lights to grow in Brilliant. there. And she found a place in Spain that has coconut hull as their secondary product. Okay. So instead of wasting it, we can get it shipped over here. Amazing. And you can mix like one part this with two parts that. Brilliant. Yeah. And what's been the biggest surprise in this whole journey for you? Oh, honestly, the biggest surprise was that I started talking about it before, how we've never been a company or we've never been a project that was interested in turning a profit. Yeah. And most recently, um, with the Circular Economy Grant, that wasn't an issue. All of a sudden, it seems to be this kind of paradigm shift where um, the powers that be care more about creating a sustainable future than an, ep an economic profit. So in our plan, when we were talking about CUSP, we never talked about you know, creating a product that's mm. going to sustain it and that we could yeah. export out to all of these other countries. It was all yeah. about creating community through compost yeah. and creating these connections yeah. through solving a problem that we all have with linear waste systems. Mm. So yeah, the fact that we got funding to do such a crazy project like this. But it's not crazy. It's not, I mean, it's radical, but it's not crazy, is it? Yeah. 
It just makes sense. Yeah. So that's been your biggest place. If home gardeners want to come along and get a bag of soil, are you doing that? or is it We are, like... especially once we know what's going on in the soil. So UCC yeah. is going to be doing those tests to test the NPK, the pH, mm. and the microbial life within mm. it. And I think that's going to be the way that the Cork Urban Soil Project will stay afloat, mm. is that we can provide people with something they need. I'd love to be able to give it to home gardeners. I'd especially love to support urban collective urban gardening projects mm. with it. Mm. That would be a dream. Mm. You know, or to have something as simple as a neighborhood apple orchard, working mm. with Trees Please, another mm. really great community-led mm. organization, could team up with the Cork Urban Soil Project. We could have the soil mm. ready. We could have the trees ready. And if everyone in your neighborhood plants a different type of apple tree, sure, you could have all sorts of varieties. Mm. Everyone takes care of their mm. own and shares out the surplus. Mm. There are so many great concepts so that we can apply can yeah. in an urban setting that yeah. are yeah. really simple. So tell me the future. How do you see this project developing over time? So uh, what I'd like to see is that we have this year of experimentation where we at CUSP are expecting to mess up a lot. And okay. we want to be very transparent about our process. So we'll make these mistakes that other people mm. hopefully won't have to make themselves. Mm. Mm. Um, what I'd like is to start questioning a larger scale system of waste. Mm. You know, How mm. do we make this? It's great that we're doing it here in the marina yeah. for our immediate community, yeah. but how do we make it so it's more accessible to people? I think that it should be a right for people to have healthy soil that they can use to mm. grow their own food yeah. in their own community. Yeah. So how do we do that? Is a biodigester the answer? Is a wormery an answer? Um, are we a wormery, perhaps, okay. or another way of having compost? Mm. Um, I'd like to talk more about food sovereignty and mm. our right to have more ownership over the food mm. that we grow for yeah. ourselves and our communities and our families. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like this to be kind of a starting point yeah. for people to have those conversations and to understand that there can be a better way, and it's not rocket science. You know, you just start with the soil and you just move on from there. Like, can, can people get involved? Can people learn from what you're doing? This is a part of what we're trying to do this year. Great. So the, the spot next door, the Cork Urban Soil Project kind of uh, growing center is going to welcome the public in a couple of times a month. Brilliant. So we can yeah. show what a concept of circular economy is, which mm. is basically uh, uh, creating a system where the waste becomes an input. Mm. And we're going to show folks how easy it can be to grow a, a, a substantial amount of plant protein on yeah. your windowsill yeah. and just kind of demystify some of these concepts of growing and being self-sufficient that people might have. And also, we get to we have loads of schools around here who are interested. Mm. So if we get to yeah. invite them in, familiarize kids with using biodigesters, then who knows? Like perhaps this could be brought into larger institutions like schools, like hospitals, jails, yeah. you name it. So yeah, people can be getting involved. The education is so important. It isn't is, it? and like developing the vocabulary around circular systems is really important because mm. other greenwashing concepts like sustainability have been just taken from us. So I really want to be a part of the movement to understand circular systems as a part of nature, nothing that can be co-opted or, um, or you know, capitalized. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
circular economy has kind of become that term, but I want circular systems to be at the root of it. I want kids to be able to come in and understand that. Mm. We've been born into this system that's very linear, mm. but we have it within our power to be able to change that linear system into something that suits us and our community yeah. and become circular and sustainable because that's the only way forward. So yeah, I, I look forward to helping create that vocabulary and create the literature so people can understand the concept mm. yeah and cusp is the best way you come and you experience it you know if you're planting the seeds in soil that mm. was you know somebody's mm. food waste two months previously yeah that's going to help you understand how the problem is a solution that there shouldn't be any waste within our society mm. everything has mm. a use everything has a spot in the design mm. yeah and and it's really exciting trying to find those things you know, it's really fun to take, you know, bits of rubbish and make it into something incredibly useful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> What's the most random bit of rubbish that you've ended up making into compost? <laughs> most random bit of... Ooh! <laughs> That's a good question. Well, this is... Okay, so we have a lot of cardboard, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we get things shipped in. Yeah. And I think one of the most fun parts of being a part of this uh, project is sitting around with a bunch of people you don't know and tearing up bits of cardboard here in Rebel Reads because it's almost like this, like a knitting bee. You just, you just wind up doing this mindless task and the, the conversations like that, like yes, like you get all sorts of funny books, all sorts of, you know, you, you have great conversations and you know you're doing something good for your community, but yeah. it's just so easy and anyone can do it. I want to come along to one of these books training You're days. always invited to come along. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's it. You're, I, will, I will invite you. You're, you're top on the list. Amazing. Ha! Another recruit. There you have it, right? So Virginia is whipping people up left, right and centre for this. She is absolute gold. You're not safe. You're going to get a job. But I think you nearly want to get a job with these guys. And it, yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's an exciting time for us because they're actually about to break ground on this micro farm any day now. Any day now. So this is like, what is it? The third week in February, 2022. And I'm pretty excited to follow this journey. It seems like there's just so much goodwill and support that's going to bring it all together. So I'm kind of wondering, Jolene, how is Cusp working? Like, is it a business or a non-for-profit? What's the story? No, it's it's beyond non-profit. This is ultra non-profit, actually, to be honest. And I think that's a huge motivator as well for a lot of the people that have come on board. And what they've done, actually, is they've umbrellaed under the Cork Environmental Forum because that allows them then to exist as a non-profit organization. And they're also supported by the Cork City Council. And luckily this year, you heard Virginia mention they got a government circular economy grant, which has now allowed them to hire a project manager, a girl called Erin. Oh, it's so good to hear that because so much effort goes into trying to get these things off the ground. And it's really good to see that it's being supported. I loved as when when she was talking about how, you know, it doesn't need to be a loss. Like these things can actually exist as a non-for-profit but can generate employment and can, can mm. generate positivity and I've also heard lots of other people who are getting involved with Virginia and Donal mm -hmm. on this project did you meet anyone else while you were there um no I didn't meet anyone else but I have heard and um, that they've taken on a compost extraordinaire it's another Donal and they've do christened this guy Doc so he's the Donal of compost and they of course <laughs> <laughs> I know it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> I said it nearly too quickly that you, you missed it, but Donal of Compost, the doc. 
And of course, there's oodles of other helpers and supporters working on this, including um, Siobhan Kyo. She's an architect who had been involved in the Cork Parklet. So she's designed um, the beautiful layout of the micro farm. And well, they also have a microbiologist. He's coming from UCC and he's going to be studying the pH, the MPK and the microbial communities within their soil. So it's all go for this group of legends. Amazing. Well, let's let's stay in touch with the doc because I do think we need to do a proper episode about soil. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to know about kind of taking these methods at home and composting at home. And, and I suppose now that we've got people excited about food waste, let's see what we can do. Absolutely. And if people want to find out more about the Cork Urban Soil Project, visit their website. It's corkurbansoilproject.com. You'll find them on all the usual social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, under Urban Soil Project. Incredible. And if you are enjoying our podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe and we release an episode every Monday. So we'll see you next week. Great. And sure you could give us a review while you're at it too. (laughs) Too sure. (laughs) Bye. Bye.